Welcome to the Testimony Service Podcast, the podcast that will encourage you, increase your faith, and draw you closer to God. I'm your host, Martina. The Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. So in an effort to help our listeners' faith increase, each episode will begin with a scripture. Today's scripture comes from Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God, while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. And now, for episode 18, Olive Trees. So my name is Nina Potts. I am originally from Maryland. A lot of, uh, you know, project buildings and stuff like that. Um, My mother also comes from a pretty broken childhood, and she unfortunately kind of inherited uh, and carried on, you know, that generational curse and the the trauma. And so her and I never bonded. Um, She rejected all of her babies, and she's never you know, had a real relationship with any of us or developed any bond with us. Unfortunately, uh, in our family dynamic, I was the scapegoat. And so if people are unfamiliar with that, pretty much the one who kind of carries the burden of all the abuse and pretty much what everything that is wrong with the family. And there usually is another sibling that's in the role of the golden child, which was my older sister. And so they kind of can do no wrong Everything, like I said, is poured onto the, the scapegoat. And so um, the golden child also often will participate in that abuse to kind of stay in good terms with the parent so then they don't, you know, in turn receive the abuse. And so that's how it played out in my family. So I was very accustomed to, you know, mistreatment and ostracizing and, um, you know, bullying and physical abuse and psychological, mental, emotional abuse as well. Um, And there were also instances of sexual assaults that uh, my mother never took serious or did anything about or took the appropriate, I guess, actions for that. By the time I was 10, I had endured so much abuse and pretty much torment and torture that my brain kind of put together that maybe if I just killed myself, that that would make everybody happy since I'm so, you know, horrible. And so it it wasn't really an act of like rebellion or attention. It was really, I had a goal set in place to die at 10 and it made perfect sense in my head at the time. And so that ended up being a very serious suicide attempt. I stabbed myself twice in the chest. Um, My mother watched that happened and did not try to intervene, which further kind of, you know, affirmed, like, I really am am alone here. Nobody cares about me. My right lung collapsed and I had to be airlifted to the ICU where I had to get a chest tube placed in to basically uh, re-inflate my lung and recover there. And while I was there, there was an investigation into child abuse. They found bruises all over my body. During the investigation and court proceedings, I stayed with our pastor. That was an environment I did not want to ever leave. It was full of so much love, full of just so much good-hearted people that really cared about people and especially children. And I had never really witnessed that before. And unfortunately, the state failed me in a in a sense. They uh, returned me back to a home where my stepfather had actually pled guilty to child abuse. Things went from bad to worse. 
the police started getting called more to my home. There were actual fights. I started fighting back. That's when I first entered the juvenile system. Usually on your first time, depending on what you do, if they don't have enough counts to, you know, kind of keep you there and make you an inmate, they try to just do the right thing and just return you back to your home within the, you know, next 24 hours or so. But my mother showed up to court and abandoned me in front of everyone, including the judge, without any warning and just said, she's not coming home here. I don't want her. You guys can keep her. You know, I don't know what you're going to do with her, but she's never allowed, you know, back in my home ever again. From then on, I entered uh, the whole world of being in the system and being a ward of the state and, you know, what it means that when the government is your parents. And I endured a lot of mistreatment in a lot of placements I was in. And I really experienced the corruption of the system. And and I feel that that was definitely exploited and um, taken advantage of. And I think that that's just the way it goes when you're in any situation where there's an unequal power, kind of just another case number, not a, a person. I was always like the youngest in all the placements I was in, therefore exposed to more than I needed to be exposed to at an early age. And so because of my experience in my childhood, I developed complex PTSD. And unfortunately, while I was in the system, I displayed, of course, you know, signs of someone, a severely tra- traumatized individual. And that was chalked up to bipolar, major depressive disorder. I was on so many different medications. I believe at one time I was on nine different medications. I was definitely zombied out, couldn't function. I was drool on myself. It was just so obvious that it was done, you know, to establish control and kind of an abuse of power in that way um, and to, to kind of force me to conform, especially since I was one that was a little feisty and not afraid to, you know, stand up for myself. And that, that's obviously problematic in a place where they expect you to just get in line and, and um, be like everybody else. Um, I actually was released from a juvenile corrections facility as of the morning of my 18th birthday. There is a system in place where if you're going to school full-time or working full-time or doing a combination of both, that you could get subsidy money from the system. And at that time, it was $800 a month. Attempted to live a normal life, going from being institutionalized uh, to living on my own. And I uh, enrolled in a community college and I got my first apartment across the street from there. And very quickly within that first year followed the uh, statistics, which are either you end up in jail, you end up homeless, you end up pregnant. And I ended up pregnant within my first year of being out of the system. And I had my first child at age 19. Basically, I met some guy who did tattoos, and he liked me, and, you know, I just didn't really know my worth. I had very poor boundaries. I didn't know anything about relationship building or or anything like that. From there, ended up in a severely abusive relationship that completely blindsided me. It was a defining moment because I realized that the person I was dating had so much in common behaviorally and um Uh, abuse-wise, as my mother. And I realized through therapy that I was trying to resolve, you know, unresolved trauma through adult relationships that mimic the kind of unequal 
power balance of myself and my mother. And uh, this is a man that, you know, lied about his age. Uh, he ended up being twice my age. Pretty much his whole life was a lie. I was scoped out prior to me even knowing this man existed. And it was very intentional the way he showed up in my life and pretended to be everything I had ever, you know, wanted and knew exactly what to say. And it was probably like one of the most diabolical things I would say that I've, I've really ever experienced. Um, and I got out of that abusive relationship once uh, he broke my wrist. And I was out for about two years. I reconnected with my now husband. We started talking again. I was very weary and just didn't want to get into a relationship and I knew I just didn't deal with heartbreak well and I just didn't know if I was ready so over the course of the next several months kind of like just took his time and flew me out eventually for my birthday and it's kind of been history since then we I moved back to the east coast I'm now in Pennsylvania we got married we have children and I've really been able to focus on my healing journey more than I ever have now through a combination of Jesus and therapy <laughs> um, and as soon as we got plugged in to a church out here and things seemed to be going really well, um, my husband actually got diagnosed with brain cancer. There is no cure and knowing that even with treatment, most people don't make it past about a year. And so the first time he got it, it was stage two. And the second time it came back as, you know, stage four confirmed terminal brain cancer. I felt like that was a, a moment that I wrestled with God a bit. I felt like this is overkill. Haven't you put me through enough? I finally feel like for once, you know, I'm, I'm part of a family. I have a family. I have I have a life. I'm a, I'm a wife. I'm all these things I never thought that I would live long enough, you know, to experience because I, I was in such a state of despair for so long and I was so suicidal that, you know, as soon as I'm resting in these blessings that you've given me, something like this so tragic could happen to to my husband, who was only 31. It was a very trying time, but good fruit definitely came of that. It really felt like a time for God to really expose himself for who he is. And I feel like I encountered God in a way that I never had before, and I was able for once to really connect the dots and see how far God has carried me through my entire childhood and even through the horrible experiences and how much he was still there and how much he still had his hand on, on me and on my mind. You know, my biological father comes from a long history of serious mental illness, schizophrenia, bipolar, things like that. Those things I was never diagnosed with once I got outside the system. In my adulthood, you know, thinking about how he really protected my mind, and though I may, I may have, you know, issues with flashbacks from time to time of, you know, uh, battling the complex PTSD, I don't have, you know, these other traits that uh, were through generation after generation, and just realizing how far he's carried me and why would he stop now, and that doesn't make sense. And so my faith really increased, and I watched him miraculously heal my husband. We were told that. After he had his round uh, six weeks of chemo and radiation, um, they continued with his scans, and each scan uh, showed that it was actually the tumor began to um, progress for the third time. And the surgeon said, "Look, I'm not willing to do a third surgery. Get your affairs in order. See if there's any clinical trials you know you qualify for. But right now, we need to quit all treatment and kind of just accept what is coming." And it wasn't until then that we fully surrendered, and it was like, God, whatever you choose to do, help us agree with you, help me trust you, help us know that you're still here, that you're very, make your presence known throughout this, you know, unknown time. And 
as soon as we surrendered to that, the very next skin he had, I remember it was right before Christmas, it was our first early, you know, Christmas present, we were told that the tumor had stabilized. It wasn't shrinking, but it wasn't growing like every other skin showed. And we had just gone to a Christian conference. Um, my husband received the Holy Spirit there, and he was prayed for there. It was a very, very intense conference, and we were just beside ourselves, just kind of grasping at anything and just chasing after God wholeheartedly like we never had before. I mean, the only thing we would watch during that entire period of time was we would only watch sermons. We would only listen to worship music. We were so plugged in to the Word and to our intentional relationship with God more than we ever had. And we saw the fruit of that labor. We thanked God before we even knew what He was going to do. And like I said, that scan showed it was stabilized. And then every single scan he's had after that has shown that it shrunk. It has continued to shrink over time to the point where now his most recent scan shows that all we're seeing right now is probably just scar tissue. And uh, that hasn't grown or changed or anything. And again, they don't have any explanation in the natural realm to explain, you know, this miraculous healing. I've watched God, needless to say, do some incredible things during that time of my husband's healing, really learning true forgiveness myself. For years, I kind of lived that verse, spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. I always wanted to forgive. I just felt like I, I just couldn't and didn't know how. And what does that mean? Does that mean I let abusive people back in my life and keep forgiving that? Like, I just didn't understand boundaries or what any of that meant. And so God really showed me forgiveness through compassion during that time. I just really had an understanding of People who have mistreated me and have abused me for sport and, and their own entertainment, these people can't possibly know God. They don't have the privilege of, of knowing God, especially the way that I know God, but you just can't know God and treat people that way. And so my compassion really came in where it was like, oh, man, like you have no idea what you're missing out on. Like you really have no idea what God can actually do in and through you. He can heal all the parts of you that make you mean. You know, he can reveal those things to you. It only makes sense to mistreat people when you're in that place because hurt people hurt people. And so that's how I was able to learn forgiveness. I continue to write to this day. I'm still a poet. Uh, in fact, uh, I actually wrote about my husband's experience and our experience of suffering as a Christian called Olive Trees, and it's actually available on all streaming platforms. It compares suffering as a Christian to Jesus' suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane. Garden of Gethsemane was just full of olive trees, and that's where olive presses were used to extract what was most valuable, which would be the olive oil. And that's kind of like what we go through, like the Bible says, uh, we're hard-pressed on every side but never crushed. And that's what God does through all the hard times. He carries us and extracts what's most valuable from within, which is our faith, which is, you know, the fruits of the Spirit. And he can heal areas that are completely untouchable to man and really restore in a way that we could never really imagine. You know, in the natural definition of restoration, it's kind of to fix it and make it new. But God makes it even better than it would have ever been. And so I just think that that's beautiful. I think it's a beautiful place to be, especially at 30. I just turned 30 in January, and I kind of get a glimpse of what my life could have been had I not really turned to God. And I'm just grateful that I understand his compassion, specifically for orphans. You know, that was a big one, discovering that verse in the Bible that he cares so much about orphans and widows and how he instructs people to treat them and that he cares, you know, about my mistreatment and that, you know, 
his justice and his wrath will be satisfied and I can give that to him without feeling like, you know, I have the burden of trying to still get my revenge. You know, I cut all roots of bitterness and resentment and all of that because it was really only manifesting in a way that that hurt myself the most. And, you know, I really vowed for my children and my family to have a different experience and really be the first, you know, on the front lines to break the cycle uh, and the generational curses in our family. And um, definitely been very difficult, you know, to say the least, but that's kind of to be expected, especially for the first in line. But, you know, our children will understand what we did and what we allowed God to do more specifically through us. And I'm just grateful and I look forward to see the ripple effect of that in in the future. Yeah, that's a beautiful testimony. I, I look forward to seeing the ripple effect too. I'm definitely going to be checking out your poetry and your writing and because, yeah, wow, your life is just night and day. It's, I mean, God has clearly had his hand on you and, and turned it all around. That's That's amazing. I love it. <laughs> so you were talking about when you were 10 years old, and you had to stay with your pastor for a while. So, yes. like, what was your parents' relationship with God? Were they going to church? Did they say they were Christians? What was your household like as far as that's so, concerned? So it was very image-based. My mother's understanding of the Bible or what she enforced at home anyway was a very legalistic view. They kind of knew when to turn it on, turn it off in front of what kind of people. But I feel like I've always understood a deeper level and I did experience the Holy Spirit for the very first time. It was the year that I tried to commit suicide. And after uh, the pastor, um, you know, took care of me for those two months, we actually did not return out of my mom's retaliation toward them. There was years of no contact between then and probably until my husband's diagnosis, which is about two years ago. We're really, really close now. They've really, really helped me a lot. They helped my husband. I mean, when my husband was in the hospital and he didn't have the ability to speak, they were praying for him, speaking in tongues over the phone in the middle of the hospital on speakerphone. Uh, Bishop now actually mentors my husband, who is studying to be a pastor. Wow, that's full circle so, for you. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. Wow. It's yeah. It's crazy how God really does make all things work together for our good. Like, even mm-hmm. the things that we don't even realize, like, you know, the two months when you were 10 years old, like, has this lasting impact. That's awesome. So, fast forward to you being in and out of different abusive um, relationships. Like, how did you eventually come to earth and identity in Christ and value that above what you were seeking after in these different relationships? Okay, so yeah, so after I had my son, I fell into the trap of the guilt and the shame. And so everything Emmy wanted and kind of knew I should be in church, but I was like embarrassed to go as a single mom. I felt very shameful. I felt like I kind of like scarlet letter kind of thing that I'm walking around. I had my baby out of wedlock. There's no daddy involved, that kind of thing. And so I allowed that to kind of keep me from the church. When I was in contact with my now husband, I told him that, mandatory above all, God has to be at the center of our life. I can't do this thing called life without him. So it's going to be very important that we make an agreement, you know, before I even say I'm going to move out here, that that would be a priority. That would be number one for us, that we seek the Lord and that we do this thing the right way, that we go to premarital counseling, that we, you know, that was like my non-negotiable 
if you will, which didn't follow through as soon as I moved out here, I'll be completely honest. But eventually, yes, we did get plugged into the church, the same church we're in now, where we're actually the facilitators for the young adult ministry at our church campus. So that's the 18 to 35 crowd. But yeah, so it, I would say after that last relationship, before the marriage that I'm in now, is when I started to really learn about my identity in Christ. I really started to understand my worth and my value. I had no idea, and that was still something that took so long, that took a combination again through therapy, and it was so much like God was trying to do and heal me, and then there were so many negating thoughts you know, from the enemy that will kind of make me think, oh, well, like, no, that's not it, or I'm not really free, or the kind of stigma around, like, kind of scare you into not, don't try to take your life or you're going to go to hell type of thing. It's like, it's deeper than that. But I really started to kind of understand who God is and that I belong to him and that I was created for him. I would say my identity in terms of faith happened during my husband's battle with cancer. I think of anything, I almost got a little arrogant because life got so much easier prior to that. I wasn't really hungry and thirsty because I felt like, well, this is my reward, so to speak. Like, you know, God knows my heart. Like, I was still kind of stuck there. But my husband's experience through that where it was like, I have the power to take him. I have the power to give life. I have the power to take it. I have the power to do whatever I want. And I'll disrupt your life if I have to to get your attention. And that's when I I feel like I really started to study, you know, the story of Job and all of, you know, Paul's letters and to really, really, really understand, like, wow, like, okay, it's not all about you do this and then God rewards you, you do this and then, like, in the way that we see it or the way that we think it in the natural and that the goal is to change ourselves spiritually from the inside out. Yeah, that's scary how you were talking about feeling, like, entitled and arrogant, like, this is kind of, like, what I deserve now, like, after all I've been through, like, this, right. like, right. <laughs> That's scary because, you know, I've been in church my whole life and like hearing different people's testimonies. I'm like, man, I've had it easy. And I'm like, man, let me make sure I don't get arrogant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's easy too. it's so easy to get arrogant because you feel like you're creating God in your own image. You know, and so you're like, well, God would want this for me. So God's like, you paid your dues, you know, you get to live the rest of your life and have it easy. But I think that the people that really go through a lot and really understand that that spiritual battle and all of that are important in the body of Christ for um, maybe people who haven't had it that rough, but still are in the body of Christ so that when things happen, they can kind of relate on a, on a different kind of level. Do you know what I mean? And they can yeah. kind of provide that specific kind of like comfort in those horrific times that, you know, other people haven't experienced. Definitely, definitely. So can you talk a little bit about the power of being fully immersed and intentional in our relationship with God versus just straddling the fence? Mm. Okay, yes, 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 actually. So the Bible talks about dying to ourselves daily. When you can actually say, I'm in relationship with God, first of all, that means you commune with God every single day. That means that you're do, you're being diligent about holding every thought captive. That means you understand where the fight and the battle is, and that's in your heart, your mind, um, and that you guard those things actively. So that means, for instance, somebody does something to slight me, to offend me, maybe my friend doesn't support something. I, you know, I feel like they're supposed to support, whatever. 
I can either ride with that and ride with that entitlement and that arrogant and keep telling myself and keep pumping myself up like, yeah, that's messed up, all the stuff I did for them and blah, 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 blah. When you do that, you're more straddling the fence and you're deciding, you know, what you want to do, how you want to do it, when you want to do it. When you understand how dangerous and how easy it is to be entangled and how easy it is to let things take root in your heart. Like I said, bitterness, resentment, things like that. You take that directly to God immediately. That's that spiritual discipline. That's when you'll really start to see the fruit. That's when you'll really start to understand God and feel who God really is. Like, you know, you get to a place where you know uh, you're not impressing God. Like, you're not... You, we're just filthy rags. Our best is just filthy rags to God. And you understand that it's like, okay, who's ultimately in control is the one who designed me. Therefore, that's who I need to run to, to figure out how this thing called life works. How do you do that if you don't go to the actual creator, the manufacturer of all of this? And I think full surrender of your thoughts, your goals, your talents, your everything, Everything that you have that you're that you really start to see God in, in all of it because again it goes with that arrogance of I've bought this, I worked hard and bought this. I you know, it's God gave you the wisdom to get the job that you had to you know what I mean, to sustain it. You know, it's really really, really understanding that God's in control of all of this and how gracious and merciful he's been and acknowledging that with deep gratitude, being intentional every day and holding yourself accountable and really taking the time to take apart and read the Word. It really just starts in the Word. God will will take care of the rest. But if you're really taking the time to, okay, what does that Word mean in that verse? And you're really taking the time to seek the Lord in that way, you will find Him. Man, you're preaching to me. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to need to go pray after this. I mean, the person who I recorded right before you, um, they were talking about surrender, too. And now you're talking about surrender. I'm like, I must need to go pray about this. Amen. Yes, yes. surrender is huge. Cause surrender is like is one thing to say it, but to really like surrender... And I mean, uh, even physically, like I've been on the floor, you know, in my in my closet, like really just like full surrender, heart surrender, but everything. But just like no more, Lord, just take I don't it's not even less than me. It's none of me. All of you. I don't want my own thoughts, my own goals, my own, you know, selfish ambition. I don't want anything to get in the way of what you're doing, because I know that you're doing a new thing. Um, I believe you. I believe the promises, you know, in your word. And if I don't surrender, that means I get in the way of, of you trying to accomplish everything that you already set out for, everything that's basically already done. Yeah, exactly. That's so true. That's so real. So let's end with this question. So I love how you said forgiveness with boundaries. So can you give us some practical steps on, like, what that actually looks like? <laughs> Yeah, um, it's something I'm still, I feel like learning and implementing uh, even now, especially with when it comes to discipling people and learning, you know, the boundaries there. But first and foremost, I feel like God gives us wisdom, right? Like he doesn't want us to be foolish. So if somebody is harmful, if somebody doesn't know God and is harmful and you think they're going to miraculously change somehow, especially without God, you're lying to yourself and God wouldn't want you to set yourself up for that. So forgiving someone does not always equal reconciliation. You don't have to be in relationship with unrepentant, abusive people or people that are sent to steal your joy, to steal your peace, 
to disturb your peace, to take your eyes off of Christ. That's not part of your sanctification process to keep going out of your way to test yourself, you know. And if you take it a step further, even it's you're kind of doing them a favor by not allowing, not giving them access to sin against you. But again, that's that, first of all, compassion and understand, okay, they just don't know the Lord yet. I really went through forgiveness in steps of I had to ask God to give me the ability to pray for people because I just didn't have it. It's like pray for your enemy. Okay, well, I can't. Like I know in earnest I could not pray for people who did the most horrific things that you could imagine to me. But that's why God tells us that his strength is made perfect in our weakness because, of course, you're too weak. We're nearly human beings. Like, we're, we don't have the capacity to think beyond somebody did something horrible. There's been a terrible injustice to just say, I'll, I'll pardon that or I can forgive that. There's, there's just really no way. Realistically, it takes, you know, um, the willpower of God And so, you know, I pray for them to seek the Lord. I pray for them to know the truth ultimately. I pray for them that there is still some way that they can still be convicted in some kind of way and be able to rid themselves from that. And I pray for my heart to be protected against anything that is trying to take root and to know that unforgiveness will make you know better than your offenders, I think was really huge for me too, because I can't walk around acting like, oh, I'm, I'm so glad I'm saved and the Lord's really worked on my heart and he's really healed me, but I'm walking around with all this unforgiveness when you know what unforgiveness does. God's not saying, I want you to forgive them because it's so nice. He's saying, because if you don't, it will destroy you and, I, and your soul's not worth the destruction of what another person has done against you. It's like, okay, well, I can free myself from the triggers and the ties of, you know, these people through the power of forgiveness. That doesn't change them, but it definitely changes your heart toward them and protects you from being consumed because you really can't fool yourself. You can't say, I don't, I don't hate them. I just don't care. Like, don't let the enemy deceive you because it starts off very, very small. And, you know, you, you can even catch yourself rejoicing in your offender's downfall. That's what they get, you know, stuff like that. And I have to constantly bring that to God and make sure that I constantly have a heart postured toward forgiveness, just like he's forgiven me for my many sins, you know, as well. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Testimony Service Podcast. I appreciate your support, whether it's you being a faithful listener every week, subscribing on your favorite podcast platform, sharing on social media, sharing your testimony with me, or even if you're just praying for me, I appreciate all of it. And so, of course, we'll be back next Wednesday. So here's a sneak peek for you. It was just so much evil is the only way I can describe it now. And I was just chasing after more. And then when I got more, I wanted more. And then when I got more, I wanted more. And so, of course, I was spending like it was going to continue forever, like it would never end and doing everything I had to do to anybody to get more.